think you also are seeing, um, you know, a shift basically from paper assets to hard assets. And uh, I think that that's going to continue uh, whether it ends up being inflation or deflation in the near term. Um, I think that a lot of that is just a function of this global shift away from the dollar. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with dueling macro analysts Grant Williams and Stephanie Pomboy. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Grant and Stephanie, in which they debate what lies ahead for today's uncertain economy and distorted financial markets, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Grant, Stephanie, and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, but if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And now, here is part two of our interview with Grant Williams and Stephanie Pomboy. Well, well, let's let's tie it all together now. So, um, big, you know, existential risks out there, and uh, the guys with their hands on the tiller, we don't have any confidence in. Um, we've heard. Magoo's farcical. Stephanie, I think you probably would have chosen a, a different F word uh, if this weren't a family friendly <laughs> conference. Um, but uh, you know, the folks that are watching this are, are, are asking themselves, all right, great. Um, uh, I, Grant and Stephanie, very smart people. I agree with them. What, I don't want to become collateral damage when this whole thing falls apart. So what, what strategies slash tactics would you encourage today's prudent investor who wants to preserve capital foremost, um, but, but you know, ideally wants to prudently grow it, but just in a, in a risk appropriate way going forward. Um, what are some of the, the asset classes, the sectors, et cetera, that you, know, you are identifying as, as either good places to be now or good places to be later after some sort of correction? Um, Grant, why don't we start with you? I think um, I've spoken a lot about this recently, Adam, and I think it's incredibly important. And what we started this discussion was was with this this debate about inflation deflation, because right there is the most important decision that you have to make for your portfolio. Because depending on what you think is the likely future, and and it's important to understand what everybody's time horizon is here. Um, you're going to have to you're going to have a very different portfolio if you if you believe that we remain in a in a deflationary uh, situation and that's going to be the problem then you know the tweaks to your portfolio which has been working in a deflation environment will be fairly minor um, you know the same things will work now you, you, you're going to reach the, the limit in a lot of bonds you're going to have to get a lot more picky about the kind of bonds you want exposure to um, but the but the status quo will continue although it may be a bit rocky if however you ultimately come down on the side of inflation and again i want to hammer home this idea of time horizon uh, I think any decision you're making over the next matter of months is a coin toss, frankly. I, I think you could make the case either way and you have to be very nimble. But if you're looking to invest for the next five years uh, and you come down the side of inflation, as, as I have, then I think you, you have to look at what's going on around us. You know, we are seeing, um, if we are seeing a shift from deflation to inflation, then there are a lot of things that necessarily follow along with that. We're already seeing some of them. We're starting to see a rotation out of growth into value, for example, which is which is clearly happening, um, and that I suspect is you know so-called smart money trying to get ahead of the inflation trade, um, 
and and that means you know a rotation into real things into commodities we're seeing the the headlines about commodity prices rising um but uh you know the companies that produce them haven't gone crazy yet you can still buy companies that produce things um at, 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 that are classic value plays relatively cheaply because they just have not been a place to be and steph and i've spoken about this in the gold mining space for the longest time and, and it's a very easy place to come down to and, and 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 probably a fairly predictable one but what i would say is that over the last couple of decades and again this is something that, that i've i've banged the table about in in recent weeks you know the, the the gold mining companies have been forced to get their balance sheets in order to get their businesses in order they've made great strides in that um and and as i said numerous times there is no better value investment than a company that literally pulls money out of the ground which is what the gold mining companies do and when steph and i last spoke about this she made the fantastic point that whilst this space is not big enough to attract serious investment dollars the better these companies do the bigger they're more investable they come and that is going to suck in a lot more capital and when you compare the the mining companies to um to other sectors it's tiny um but these these companies are producing record free cash flow their their results have been across the board uh strong some of them excellent you are absolutely hostage to fortune of, of the kind of vagaries of mining which you get mine shutdowns here and you know government intervention here and there but if you pick the right companies in the right jurisdictions then you're going to do fine but but the one thing i would say and perhaps the most important shift from the old paradigm to whatever the new paradigm looks like is the the return of active management over passive management i think it's been okay to be passive and to put money in passive funds and allow them to do what they do if we do get a secular change of any kind and these rotations that i've just spoken about happen the biggest one is arguably going to be away from passive and into active um and i think again we're starting to see that i'm starting to talk to active fund managers who are seeing decent inflows for the first time in a long time so i think i think that the, the best advice i can give everybody is to have to do a proper assessment of your portfolio understand how you're invested understand what you're invested for the kind of outcome that you that you will be successful under and then check your timeline and and think to yourself okay if i'm invested for a deflationary outcome and my time horizon is five years am i set up effectively i would argue that you're probably not um and in that if that's the case you need to think very carefully about these secular shifts that that all come along with a change from deflation to inflation all right very very well said um stephanie um reaction to grant's list and and given your i believe don't put words in your mouth but your sense that deflation may be more in the driver's seat uh, over the next five years than than at least grant's estimation would your allocations differ any differently well, I guess um, I am a proponent of the deflation before inflation thesis. So, um, you know, I do see uh, this blip in inflation um, being contained to the input price side right now. And ultimately, I guess in my scenario, the profit margin squeeze will precipitate a correction in stocks, which will feed the deflationary pressures, just like every bubble burst in the past. That will be followed by a massive response, which will ultimately bring about the real hyperinflation. So I, again, you know, there are a lot of moving parts and I could be wrong in every single one of those. Um, but the one thing I would say is that regardless of whether you think it's deflation or inflation, 
gold is appealing and a lot of commodities are appealing um, in that regard, just because they're a hedge against what we're gonna see in terms of the policy response. Um, but I, so I'm very bullish, obviously I'm bullish on gold from the standpoint of all the things we've already talked about with the, the fiscal and monetary policy, et cetera, um, and, the, and the silent debasement of the dollar. But I think you also are seeing um, you know, a shift basically from paper assets to hard assets. And uh, I think that that's going to continue uh, whether it ends up being inflation or deflation in the near term. Um, I think that a lot of that is just a function of this global shift away from the dollar. Um, and so I, I don't see any reason for the input price pressures to really recede. I mean, for sure, uh, if we're at a interim peak in global economic activity as the economies have reopened and we start to, you know, take a little breather, sure, you'll get, um, you know, pullbacks here and there. But in the long-term sweep of things, I think commodity prices are going to continue to move higher, um, particularly the strategic resources, which would be oil, gold, you know, anything you can stockpile, uh, agriculture, obviously. Um, so... I definitely would be trying to position and and continued bull market, I'll call it in in uh, that space. Um, and then I, I guess because I'm so concerned about what's going to happen with the outlook of the dollar, I'd really be looking maybe to uh, add some non-dollar exposure if you're a U.S. investor. And the no-brainer to me would be to be get long resource economies, you know, that are going to benefit because they're producing all of these uh, commodities and stuffs that everyone is now starting to stockpile. So um, that's another potential avenue to put some money to work. But I guess, you know, for people who are sitting here and, and the bulk of their investments are in the U.S. stock market, um, you know, I would definitely try to be as defensively postured as, as possible. Um, and as Grant mentioned, you know, looking for companies that really have exposure to basic resources um, and avoid those that are levered bets on a continuation of this uh, crazy status quo that we've had brewing here. Um, you know, I'll resist the impulse to, you know, go on a rant about Tesla and that kind of stuff. But, you know, there were some obvious stocks that I wouldn't have in my personal portfolio. Um, and, and then I guess the, the question is, where do you put, you know, do you want to have money in cash? Um, and, you know, my feeling is it really, uh, I feel comfortable having a fair amount of cash just because I feel like if and when that market correction happens, I'll have powder dry with which to swoop in and, and take advantage of some real opportunities. But that's because... I think that that is going to happen sooner rather than later. If it's five years down the road, you know, you're sitting in cash and it's being eroded every day by this endless uh, debauchery by the Fed. So um, I'll leave that to your listeners and viewers to decide, you know, how how um, close they think any kind of reckoning would be. Um, but generally, you know, I'm positioning away from paper assets into hard assets and. Uh, stockpiling spam and uh, peanut butter. 
Yeah, Adam, I just, I just, I just add to that if I can, because because if you look at the chart yes. of 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 um, you know real assets versus financial assets, you'll see how extreme we are. There's a long, long way for that reversal to go if if Steph's right, uh, which I think she is. Uh, but the other point I would make is is I keep talking about time horizons and Steph just made the case beautifully there. You know, she laid out a very credible path, which I can absolutely see playing out. And if you're, if you're investing for the very short term, then you, you absolutely need to be wary of this deflationary impulse. But I think the point Steph made is the crucial one to understand. Even if you get that deflationary impulse, the response is going to be massive because it will have to be massive to try and overwhelm it. And that ultimately will lead to inflation. If you, if you're, if you're, trying to invest with any kind of medium to long-term time horizon. This is why I believe that inflation is the, is the thing that you have to fear because uh, I, I think Steph laid out a very, very credible um, flight path there. And, and it's, it's terrifying in the short term, but in the long term, if you have the ability to look through that and, and use that time to position yourself, you know, it could be, it could be a very, a, a, a very useful period for you to get yourself set for an inflation turn. We really do. We really do agree. Yeah, I was going to say th th thank you for that clarification because yeah, it seems like both of you um, see similarly on that, and and um, you, you haven't seen David Hunter's presentation at this conference yet, um, but he sees the world very very similarly as you guys, um, and it, it even goes back to the Kapoom theory, which I've sort of written about for years, which I stole from Eric Jansen, um, but it is this deflationary crunch. Uh, which is the cut, it's almost like a depth charge, which implodes and then explodes, right? So you have this deflationary crunch and then the policy response is just this explosion that's highly, highly inflationary. So thank you guys for being so specific. This is exactly the kind of fodder that um, you know, the folks watching this video are really looking for to be able to, to try to make sense of how they want to position for all this. And if I can just recap real quickly, just so you guys can say whether I took good notes or not, Grant, um, I think you started wisely with saying, look, you, first you get to decide what you're solving for, right? Inflation or deflation, what's your time horizon? Um, but the trends that you see going forward are rotation into value, um, you know, basically away from growth. Um, and that's really going to benefit um, real things and the companies that produce them. Um, and uh, also, I, I agree with you on this, um, it's going to get a lot harder to separate the wheat from the chafe. You can't just sort of count on the tide rising all boats. And so active management is going to come back into vogue because it's gonna be necessary. Stephanie, it sounds like you, you see the world you know, fairly similarly to Grant. Um, when, when I would, you can summarize me as what he said, just not as articulately. No, 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 no. <laughs> what, what, I, think, I, think, but I think you really raised, you, you, you raised the part about, you know, the wisdom of, of holding dry powder on hand for a, a uh, you know, potentially big market downdraft. Um, and I'm going to call this sort of the blood in the streets opportunity, right? Which is that um, you're going to be able to get into today's assets at much lower valuations if you're nimble right before the policy response just sends the prices of everything, but particularly these well-positioned companies to the moon, right? So it's one of those things that doesn't come along very often in an investor's lifetime. And if you can you know, prudently uh, position for this and have the courage to act when the time is right, there may be some real opportunities here, not just to protect your your capital beforehand, but but to create very outsized upside returns. Um, the only thing I want to, oh, and you also brought in the global shift away from the dollar though, you know, which is kind of sit on them in the short term, but in the long term, look for ways to reduce your exposure to the dollar as the world is trying to figure out how to become less dependent on it.
Um, the only thing I want to add to you guys is I interviewed Rick Rule recently, who you probably both know. He's a very seasoned natural resource investor, thinks very similarly to you guys. But you know, Rick's a boots on the ground kind of guy who knows what's coming out of the earth. He knows the companies that are uh, you know, extracting, drilling, mining these, uh, these commodities. And he says, even if demand doesn't change for the next five years, he sees severe supply shortages yeah. ahead because of lack of investment in the pipeline over the past couple of decades. So that's just another really important factor that adds onto your guys' compelling thesis already. Um, all right, so guys, with that, I wanna thank you so much. I, I could literally talk all day long with you guys on this. Uh, someday we should do a conference that's just you two talking for, for the entire day. But I really appreciate you guys <laughs> taking the time. That might sound like a nightmare to you guys, but it would be a fantasy to everybody else. Hey, we do it all the time. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Grant. I know that you're joining from outside the U.S. Uh, Stephanie, I know it's later your time. I thank you so much for joining our conference. And for people who have been thrilled by your commentary and would like to follow you and your work, where should they go? Steph, let's start with you. Uh, they can visit macromavens.com or they could follow me on Twitter um, for the occasional very Come rare you could do it. Um, snide comment uh, at spomboy. You got uh, it. <laughs> did I get it? <laughs> you got it. You nailed it that time. Oh my God. I'm proud of you. Oh, I basically retweet whatever Grant puts out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of do too, just to be honest. Uh, he's gold. Gold, I tell you. Yeah. Uh, for and me, listen, yeah, for it's, it's simple. Uh, Grant-Williams.com. You'll find uh, everything I do there, including the super terrific happy hour with Steph. And if you want to buy the latest CD from the Big Magoos, then uh, we've got a concert tour coming up next year, then go to thebigmagoos.com. Okay. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I, I want to buy front row seats, so make sure you reserve there you go. at least one All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. And really look forward to talking to you guys later this year as uh, developments start happening in real time and, and to get your guys' real-time insights then. Thanks so much again. Sounds great. Great pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having us. See you, Steph. See ya. Cheerio. All right. And as we do every week, I am joined by the lead partners of New Harbor Financial, the financial advisory firm officially endorsed by Wealthion. Um, Mike and John, can't wait to see your guys' reaction to what Grant and Stephanie said. Um, just a quick dial through before I hand you guys the football. Um, Grant said, look, you got to pick your timeline. Uh, you got to determine um, over that timeline whether you think uh, inflation or deflation is more likely and bet accordingly. Uh, he thinks inflation is going to win out. Um, he said he sees a rotation from growth into value. He really likes uh, hard assets and uh, the companies that produce them. Uh, particularly, he loves the gold miners. Uh, he said that, you know, they're, they're pulling money out of the ground. Um, it's a great, great space to be in this type of environment. Um, he thinks that this space is poised for massive capital inflows going forward. And he underscored that we're entering an era where active investing is going to come back into vogue because it's going to have to. Uh, the winning passive strategy, just buy an index and let it ride over the past uh, decade or two. Uh, he explained why he thinks that's coming to an end. Um, obviously, I think managed uh, advisors like you guys, probably that's music to your ears. Uh, Stephanie complimented a lot of what Grant said, even though she's more of a deflationist. Um, she likes hard assets. She did underscore she sees the de-dollarization trend globally uh, continuing to accelerate from here. And she recommended that folks get exposure to non-US resource-based markets. And I think emerging, emerging markets type of funds are probably some of the types of investments that she was talking about there. Um, she also said that cash is a good thing to be holding going into a time where she expects 
a large market correction. Sounds like Grant shared that opinion, as have previous guests on this program, like uh, David Hunter, who predicts a really big one, like almost 80%. Um, and uh, I think Stephanie C is a similar size drop like that because she is planning for a blood in the streets moment. Um, so uh, anyways, guys, listening through all those, I want to hear your reactions, but they sound to me uh, very, very complimentary to, to what you guys um, have been talking about in this program for years now. Um, John, let's start with you. Yeah, Adam. Well, first of all, it's great, great to see two two very uh, thorough and bright minds together in one one forum. They they I think uh, you know covered a lot of ground together and uh, uh, tried not to agree on on a lot of things, but uh, their their takeaways I think were remarkably similar in terms of where we are in the cycle. Um, yeah. So. Um, Deflation, inflation. Uh, I think Grant's comments there about pick your time frame. It, it's uh, you know we we here like to think about inflation, deflation as a tug of war, and, and any good tug of war, it's not clear who the victor is in any given short period of time. You know, in fact, it might seem like one team is about to pull the other into the uh, the mud pit in the middle, and and guess what? One slip foot, and uh, the other team gains. And I think we're still in that phase. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's not clear that the winner is is anointed yet. And that's why the way we've positioned it kind of um, can have it both ways. You know, we're holding some types of things for clients that do very well in a deflationary type episode, things like cash and some long-term bonds. Um, inflation scenarios, we're holding commodities, precious metals, precious metal mining, energy stocks, emerging markets. Um, so I guess the first ingredient uh, that we like to inject here is that we need to be humble and, and know that we can't with precision um, navigate the binary choice of inflation deflation because there's there's lots of reasons to, to think about both being possible and in fact I think Stephanie you know uh, you know kind of promulgated a what we'd like to think as a kapoom scenario where there's maybe a deflationary you know kind of uh, depressionary type thing deep recession followed by an even more massive response by policymakers, which creates a supernova of inflation. So, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of agree with uh, most of what both of them said and, and uh, you know, you almost can't disagree or have to pick sides between the two of them, frankly. All right, yeah. And as I, I think through how the New Harbor portfolio is positioned, as you've all shared with us, um, you know, you've got, you've got the cash, as you mentioned, um, you've got the, the precious metals exposure to the metals themselves and the mining producers, uh, which is good for the inflationary side of things. Um, you also have exposure to emerging markets uh, and to some other hard assets like, uh, like energy, oil, et cetera. So it was interesting as they were sort of ticking off all of their, their recommendations, it sort of felt like they were just going through the, the New Harbor uh, menu there. Um, Mike, I'm curious if you've got anything to add to, to John, and then um, I'd love to get your reaction to last week's um, uh, results from the, the Fed meeting, um, which, um, you know, Sox seemed to have shrugged that off, but, but certainly kind of kneecapped the precious metals the day after. Yeah, Adam, thanks. I don't really have much to add to what John said. I think that it's, um... I enjoyed the presentations as well, and I, and I do think that um, our viewpoints are, are very close in parallel to what we saw there, as is our portfolio of management. Last week's Fed decision, Fed came out and said, well, you know what, I th we think that we're going to raise rates, or we might raise rates in 2023, you know, two years out, and maybe by a quarter basis point or so. Immediately, the, the stock market sold off on that news. 
then immediately knee-jerk came back, ended down the day a little bit. Um, the stock markets, though, still remain near their all-time highs. Um, gold sold off pretty immediately on that on that news, and uh, which is kind of kind of curious that the dollar took off, yields went down, bond yields went down, and gold got 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 hurt. You'd think that if rates were going to be increased, that rates would have went up and the bond bonds would have went down. But that's not how the market works. The market basically sold the news in terms of bond yields, sold the news in terms of in terms of gold prices. Gold is down was down close to hundred dollars following the the rate decision. Overall, we don't really think it's much of a factor in anything, though. I mean, the Fed is just dilly dallying. They're playing around with their dot plot, saying we might do this, we might do that. I think that we all know they probably won't do anything. You know, they say they're going to raise rates maybe in two years, but. I think we know full well that if there's any stumble or any drop in the market whatsoever, they won't raise rates. In fact, they're probably going to reduce rates, I, I, I would think, given the fact that the stock market itself is showing some you know, bad internals, some signs of excess and excess of euphoria. Stock markets, you know, the valuations have never been higher. It's a matter of time before valuations come down. We do, like John said, try to practice humility. We've learned humility throughout the years. We know that we can't time it. We don't know when it's going to happen. We know that mathematically it's bound to happen, though, from these sets of conditions. So the Fed is pretty much stuck. They're saying we might do this, we might do that. Overall, I don't think they're going to do anything. And, um, you know, gold being down $100 or so in a couple of days after the decision is a little bit disappointing. However, you know, gold still remains in a zone where uh, we think it's very, very, very viable. A couple of months ago, it bottomed in that 1680 range. And you know, here is another opportunity to add a little bit if you don't have it or, or feel like you don't have enough. Thanks, I'm glad you said that last point there, Mike. Um, it, it is funny, uh, we have this longstanding gallows humor that we engage in that whenever the Fed opens its mouth, it's, it's basically bullish for everything, um, but bearish for, for gold. Um, and I think that, that partially that's because uh, gold is the mirror of truth that uh, if left unchecked, you know, accurately reflects the um, decline in purchasing power of the US dollar. So it's something that the Fed really doesn't want to have, you know, uh, sort of just, you know, in a runaway scenario, because it, it then sort of really shows the world how badly the Fed is, is uh, killing the purchasing power of our currency through all of its policy efforts. Um, but uh, yeah, it's important to underscore that that none of the fundamentals Behind owning the precious metals changed um, after you know what, what uh, Jerome Powell said last week, um, and, and he really did not say that much. He didn't change policy at all. Uh, the Fed is still going to be pumping just as much um, uh, stimulus into the economy month after month, um, and uh, even those those dot plots that you mentioned there, Mike. I mean, they they, they changed very very little, and it's two years away, and it's just showing sort of the current, you know. You know, probability of uh, what the different folks who are on the, the Fed voting council there think might happen, right? So there's so many things that are going to happen between now and then. But, you know, bottom line, Fed hasn't changed anything. And, and yet the precious metals, you know, had a, a, a big downward reaction. And I think to your point, Mike, um, it's an overreaction, or it certainly looks like an overreaction. And if you were looking at gold at $1,900 an ounce uh, and silver getting up close to, to $29 an ounce, and wishing that you, you know, could have bought in at lower prices, 
well, you know, that's what dollar cost averaging is all about. And this may be a really good opportunity uh, to get in at more attractive valuations. Um, and if you haven't sort of begun building your stack yet, well, you just got a gift here. So, all right, Mike, let me, um, let me go to you. Uh, sorry, John, let me go to you really quickly on the dollar. Um, right before we started recording here, we were looking at a chart of the dollar, which has sort of been in a downtrend for the past year, um, maybe kind of bottoming out over the past couple of months. Uh, it's beginning, it, probably too early to call a trend here, but it's beginning to show some signs of life heading back up to its 50-day moving average. Um, uh, just curious if that's something that you guys are keeping your eye on, because obviously a strengthening dollar uh, here would surprise an awful lot of people on Wall Street and uh, you know, could have some uh, inverse impacts on stocks and, uh, and commodities, et cetera. Yeah, we do look at that. We, we look at you know probably more data than, than we should, frankly, sometimes, but we, we, we monitor everything. Um, yeah, the dollar over the last year has been been pretty weak. But if you look over the last um, you know several months since about um, August of last year, I guess I, it looks like we're we're kind of basing out in kind of a trading channel. Um, we we speak of the dollar in terms of uh, the dollar index, which is a, a basket of currencies. You know, the dollar relative to a basket of, of, of other currencies, and that that dollar index, for example, has been trading roughly between 89 to 94, 95. Um, so, you know, back in August of last year, we were right around the 95 level. Um, that pulled back to, um, you know, early this year, about the 89 level. Then we had a spike in the dollar up through about April to about the 92, three level. Um, and then precipitously declined over the next several, uh, you know, couple months. Uh, until just the last handful of days, frankly, the last the dollar recent dollar strength has just been over the last handful of days, and most notably uh, the two days uh, following the the, the Fed the Fed meeting. Um, um, so um, you know, a couple of days certainly does not make a trend. It's a very knee jerk reaction to what I think we can now look back and say it was kind of a you know a lot of hot air, not a real lot of things in that. Fed meeting other than words and, and uh, you know, suggestions rather than real, real meat. Um, so it remains to be seen. It would not be surprised to see the dollar maybe continue near-term strength. But, you know, again, the real test is whether it can break through that, you know, 94, 95 level uh, and see longer strength uh, beyond that. Uh, and we just got to wait and see. Okay. And we'll be monitoring it here. We'll, we'll check in on this again next week and see where it is for folks. Um, one of the things I bring it up, one of the reasons why I bring it up is it, it would be a big surprise if we all of a sudden suddenly had uh, a, a, a you know, surge in the dollar strength from here. So many people on Wall Street uh, are over on the other side of the boat um, betting on continued weakness. Um, and I do just want to point out, um, last week on this channel, we ran the video uh, of David Hunter from the Wealthion conference uh, earlier in, in June. And uh, you know, he had said that he sees that dollar going down further, perhaps as low as 80 uh, during this sort of last you know, uh, gargantuan melt-up that, that he's predicting before then he thinks the, the massive market correction is going to happen. Um, you know, is David right? Who knows? You know, we're, we're going to be checking his crystal ball predictions uh, with reality as we go forth in the next couple of weeks. Um, but if, if the dollar strengthened from here, that would, that would definitely be uh, you know, against his prediction. So again, I just, I wanted to bring it up here because that, that could be a real 
um, I'm gonna call it a black swan. It's not, it's not that unexpected, but it, it, it really just could be a big negative surprise for the markets. All right, um, Mike, as we begin to wrap up here, I do wanna let you have the last word here. Um, you were mentioning before we hopped on camera here that uh, something that's catching your eyes is a lot of um, potential unwinding of a lot of speculative trades, um, which could potentially be a harbinger uh, of you know, air coming out of a lot of these asset bubbles. And, uh, and of course, if it does, there's a lot of room downwards from here. So um, what, what are you looking at specifically? Well, look, this has been a, an interminable bubble in the stock market. It feels like it's gone on forever and it has. You know, it's, it's certainly, um, the, you know, the largest run of bull market run basically in history as measured by a lot of different ways. However, where our concern is that the data, as, as you know, when, I'm, when I mentioned data, I mean valuation primarily has never been more extreme and complacency has, has really been pretty extreme as well. And we look at things like dispersion amongst markets and just noticing a lot of dispersion. You know, we're still seeing a lot of speculation in some of the meme stocks like AMC and GameStop, that type of thing. But I just made some notes here. The Dow Jones topped on May 10th, you know, almost a month and a half ago. The S&P hit a new high on, on June 15th. Now I said the Dow topped, I should say so far, the, the top so far. I'm not calling it absolute top, although it would not surprise me if the absolute top on the Dow Jones was May 10th. So a month and a half has gone by, the rest of the market's kind of grinding along sideways. The S&P went a little higher. It hit its relative high um, just a few days ago. And then the NASDAQ um, just recently hit another high, just uh, here a couple of days after the Fed, the Fed announcement. Gold went down, tech stocks went up. Apparently that's what the market um, prices in when, you know, with, with the potential uh, rate increase. But there's other things that are very speculative too, like lumber. Lumber is down almost 50% in the last month, about 47%. Wheat, soybeans, corn, the whole agricultural complex is down hard. Um, some of the base metals like aluminum, copper, zinc are down pretty hard. So while we're big believers in commodities and hard assets for the long term, some of the near term kind of inflation worry and just runaway commodity boom has also rolled over and no one's really noticing yet. You know, not to mention Bitcoin, which went down 50% from its high pretty quickly about a month or so ago, and it still remains down 40 something percent from its high. So all while we're, we're seeing new highs in the stock market, particularly the NASDAQ now, you know, one last word about the NASDAQ, th those highs are happening on fewer and fewer components. The breadth and the participation in the index is lagging. So it doesn't mean anything really immediately, but the market's not as strong as you think, that's all. And we're just noticing some dispersion. I think that's great context, Mike. And you know, um, everybody who's watching this video, I think, is is trying to figure out, you know, all right, where is the puck headed from here? And um, we've had a lot of guest experts on this program of late, who, um, you know, it's not unanimous, but I would say definitely the overwhelming consensus is that these elevated market valuations are not going to be able to sustain. And at some point, there's going to be. Uh, you know, a, a correction in the markets, and a lot of them are predicting a very painful correction in the markets. And, you know, sort of as precursors to a drop like that is we would expect to see the highest flyers, uh, the assets with the most distortion cooling off 
first, right? Because uh, you know th th that's where gravity is going to pull hardest first is on those high flyers. So um, who knows? You know, you just went through a list there. Um, uh, definitely caught my attention, and so you know it'll be interesting. So we've got people like David Hunter I mentioned earlier, who think, uh, believe it or not, it's going to get even crazier before that correction hits. Um, but as we always say, you know, nobody knows the future exactly. Nobody has a crystal ball. We're all talking probabilities here. So we will continue tracking all of these data points each week on this uh, on this uh, program so that our viewers you know, can hear our real-time best assessments of where we think we are in the story. So with that being said, um, folks, if, uh, well, let me put it this way, Mike and John, is it fair to say in, in going back to Grant and Stephanie that their sort of general combined prediction of um, at some point in the relatively near future, could be months, could be a year or two, there's going to be a big deflationary crunch uh, where prices are going to contract. Um, then the central planners are going to respond uh, in a way that, that is just going to dwarf all efforts that they've, they've made today. And that, that's where real sort of runaway inflation, uh, runaway inflation real asset price uh, bubbles uh, is going to happen in a way that makes what we've seen before look like child's play. We, um, I'm seeing you guys nodding. Is, is do you guys sort of share that general view? The only you know kind of context I'd put in that attic, Adam, is that we're already in a very massive bubble, and um, stocks, for example, um, and we've said it many, many times. We'll make the point again. It's almost irrelevant if we are in deflation or inflation because both periods usually stink for stocks when they're hyper overvalued like they are right now. So it almost doesn't matter in, in, to most people at home that might be are sitting on a heavy stock allocation because they're almost like we're almost in a perfect storm for all that. And that's simply because we are so outlandishly valued and it's, it's pervasive. It's John Hussman does some great work. You know, he, he breaks the market down into deciles. Every decile is more valued than it's ever been in its own history. Um, so. All right, great. Well, that, that, that was a perfect answer, John, because where I was going with this is for viewers that watch the interview with Grant and Stephanie, agree with them and want to take action based off of that. Um, as Grant said, you know, this is now the era where active investing is much, much more important, right? If you just, if you just buy the index and sit there long, you're going to get destroyed if indeed this correction happens. So you need to make sure that you are deploying uh, your portfolio in a way uh, that is strategic to the outcome that you see coming. And of course, as we always do, we recommend you work with a good professional advisor to do that. One who understands all of the risks that uh, Grant and Stephanie were mentioning. As I say every week, if you've already got one, fantastic, stick with them. But if you don't, you should really consider talking to Mike, John and the team at New Harbor because they offer these free, no strings attached consultations where they'll sit down with you, they'll go through your entire financial situation and they will give you their direct advice. And there's absolutely no pressure to work with them. It's completely free. And they do this as a public service because they are so concerned about the magnitude of what might happen that they wanna to try to get as many people prudently positioned beforehand if possible. All right, well, folks, thanks for watching. Guys, it's been another great week. Um, if you enjoy seeing great interviews with uh, phenomenal minds like Grant and Stephanie, do us a favor, please subscribe to this channel by clicking the subscribe button below, as well as the little bell icon right next to it. Because uh, I'll tell you, folks, the more big names like them we get on the program, the easier it is for me to go out and get even more big names uh, to come on for an interview. 
Uh, if you want to see who's coming on in the future, we've got some great guests. Uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. I'd love to hear your suggestions on who else you'd like to see on the program as well. And with that, John and Mike, thanks for another great week, guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Adam. Take care. See you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type, the kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we've put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.